Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 197, For the Love of the Game, on the Believe Podcast Network, is brought to you by Bet Online. While the Super Bowl may have come and gone, no more NFL season for right now, but there's still plenty of sports to bet on. You have the NBA down the stretch. They come in the regular season. March Madness is right around the corner. MLB's coming up. NHL down the stretch. They come in the regular season. There's still plenty of sports to bet on, and you can find all the latest information, live betting, free contests, all that good stuff at Bet Online. Head to Bet Online. Dot .ag today receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure you use promo code believe. That's B L E A V, the promo code to get 50% on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts with that said. Episode 197 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Yeah. Every time yeah. you come around, yeah, you ease my mind, you make everything feel fine. Worry about those comments, I'm way too numb, yeah, it's way too dumb, yeah. I get those goosebumps every time, I need the hymn, throw that to the side, yeah. I get those goosebumps every time, yeah, when you're not around, when you throw that to the side, yeah. You know what it is, episode 197 for the love of the game with yours truly. It's ATH. We're back in the saddle, back behind the mic, coming to you on a Tuesday afternoon. And the Super Bowl has come and gone. A great game, an absolutely great game between the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles. Kansas City takes it down 38-35. There's a lot to discuss here. We'll talk about it. We'll start from the Victor side. I'm going to save Patrick Mahomes for the last segment. Because I waxed poetically about him after the championship game, after the AFC title game. He deserves his own segment at the end. But first and foremost, the unit that really won this game for the Kansas City Chiefs is the Kansas City offensive line. Major question going into this game was, could the Kansas City offensive line hold up? The Philadelphia Eagles set a record for the most sacks this year. They were seven guys deep on the offensive line and the defensive line. They were able to get home with four guys, you know, not blitzing that much. Hassan Reddick was awesome. I mean, Brandon Graham. Then they brought in like Nadamakin Sue off the scrap heap, and he was still good for them. I mean, they had a fearsome defensive front four and an unbelievable rotation of guys. And Kansas City's offensive line gave up zero sacks. Now, Andy Reid probably had a, not probably, he definitely game plan saying we're not going to have Patrick Mahomes who on a little bit of a gimpy ankle, and let's face it, I know people were talking about how he was moving well, but like it still looked like it was a little ginger. I mean, you saw it even on the game-winning run, basically, and we'll get to that in a second, but on that run, it, it didn't look like he was running great, but good enough. But yeah, Kansas City game plan to not have him drop back, five-step drops, and have the Eagles front four tee off on him was a great game plan. 
And I know all the advanced stats talk about throwing the ball on first down, and, and it works. But this game showed the value of running the ball. That you have to at least be a threat to run the ball. That the defense has to think, even for a little bit, that that's a possibility. And that was the case. Kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. They played a hell of a game. Isaiah Pacheco played a hell of a game. Hell of a game. I, I was on his rushing props over. He hit it with ease. A hell of a game. Absolutely hell of a game. And yeah, I, the Philadelphia defense, the vaunted defense, they were ranked number one basically all year. And it didn't work. It didn't work. I mean, how many... How many weeks ago were we talked about between the – it was a matter of offensive line versus defensive line? Oh, we talked about it with uh, Shai Elberger before the Eagles and the Giants playoff game. It was about if can you get pressure with your front four, you're going to wreck games. And Hassan Reddick, nothing. No sacks for the Eagles. And if you're not going to get there with four and you're going to play zone on the back end – Patrick Mahomes is going to carve you up, and that's what they did. And even still, even still, the Eagles played so well offensively for 90% of that game that it was almost good enough. I mean, Jalen Hurts was sensational. He was sensational throwing the ball. He was sensational running the ball. I mean, if you're an Eagles fan, you have to feel really good about him. I mean, he was hitting A.J. Brown deep. He was hitting Devonta Smith deep. The Eagles' running game, aside for Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders was nowhere to be found. Kenneth Gainwell, okay, he's your third down back, but like you can't expect so much from him. They just didn't have enough on the ground for them to really control the game. And that one fumble, scoop and score, was really the difference maker. I mean, if Philly doesn't fumble there, I mean, Philly had all the momentum in the world, all the momentum in the world. When you were going into halftime, you thought that game, even though it was 24-14, it was like Kansas City has to be super ecstatic that it's not worse. Because Philly, even though they couldn't really run the ball, was keeping time of possession. I mean, it was as dominant a time of possession game and total yardage game in the first half as you're ever going to see. But only 24-14. And then Kansas City got the ball, and when they came down the field and scored really quick, you knew that this was going to be a dogfight. And it was. And it was. And Jalen Hurts did everything he possibly could. But Patrick Mahomes just made a couple of plays. And yes, there were some questionable coaching decisions, like for Andy Reid not to go for two when they were up by seven to make them go up by nine where it'd be a two possession game when it was 35, 27 after the extra point, Philly then came down, got the two point conversion, 35, 35, but even still, even still, normally you'd think when a team converts a two point conversion like that, that they're going to have all the momentum, but nope. My thought was that's too much time for Patrick Mahomes. And that's what it was. And he didn't have a huge yardage game passing. I think he was under 200 yards. He passed for three TDs, but he didn't have a huge passing game. He got major contributions from special teams. 
ex-giant Kadarius Tony with a monster punt return, scored on like a little bit of a swing pass out in the flat that Sky Moore scored on the same play. There was clearly some defensive breakdowns for, in the uh, the back end of the secondary for the Eagles. And for all the Giants fans who are complaining about Kadarius Tony, oh, we traded him for a third-round pick, I, I don't care. He couldn't understand the playbook. Like, at a certain point, you have to cut your loss if the guy can't understand the playbook. But good for him that he had a moment. Good for him. It's nice to see old Giants flourishing. But Patrick Mahomes made just enough plays. And after the first quarter and a half, Travis Kelsey didn't really do it. It was Kadarius Tony out of the backfield. It was Juju Schuster. Sky Moore in the flat catching a touchdown pass. And with the game on the line, gimpy ankle and all, Patrick Mahomes comes up with a huge rush up the middle for about 25 yards or so which really set them up for the game-winning field goal. Now, the third down play with Juju Smith-Schuster and James Bradbury, do you want to see a whistle there? No, of course not. By the letter of the law, it was a hold. But Eagles fans thinking that that was the reason why it cost the Eagles the game, that's not the reason. The reason is because is your defense that was ranked basically number one all year, didn't show up to play. And yes, Chiefs offensive line was sensational. The coaching adjustments on offense in the second half by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy was sensational. But it all comes down to number 15. I said it a couple of weeks ago. The guy is just a cut above. He's a cut above everybody else. It's him, a notch and a half below him, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and then there's everybody else. But make no mistake, 15 on the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, who deservingly won Super Bowl MVP, is a cut above. It's why I took the over on 19 and a half rushing yards for Patrick Mahomes. I know Gimpy Ankle and all. I understood. But I knew in a do-or-die game, he's going to do whatever it takes to win. He had over 50 rushing yards on a bad ankle. Do whatever it takes to win. No turnovers. What else can you say? What else can you say about the guy? I mean, his ankle must, you know, the fear was must have been so great that the Eagles closed as a one-and-a-half point favorite. Now, I know Kansas City has been bad against the spread all year, but Patrick Mahomes, the best player in football, as an underdog? That's why I took the Chiefs. I took the money line with him in parlay to win the MVP. I had a good night on the prop bets, by the way. If you listen to last week's show, I gave out a lot of winners. But you just don't bet against the guy. You don't. He's Superman. He's Superman. If you're on the Kansas City roster... You think that every single game you step onto the field, you're going to win. By the way, the NFL, with the field situation being the way it was, everybody's slipping. Like, clean that up. Clean it up. I, I, we can't have that. You have so much time pre to prepare for this game. So much goes into it. 
Let's have ourselves a field where not everybody's slipping, but whatever. Back to Patrick Mahomes. So now to update the resume for the first five years that he's been a starter. Five straight AFC championship games. They've hosted the game every single time, by the way. Just, just point that out. Five straight AFC championship games. Three Super Bowl appearances. Two Super Bowl victories. Two regular season MVPs. Two Super Bowl MVPs. If he retired tomorrow, Patrick Mahomes is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, even without this Super Bowl win, if he retired tomorrow, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. In terms of the pyramid of quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, only Montana, Brady, and Patrick Mahomes have two Super Bowl MVPs and two regular season MVPs. He's done it in his first five years as a starter. He's already one of the four best quarterbacks who ever lived. It's wild, absolutely wild. I heard a crazy stat on the Rastillo podcast. As you all know, he's one of my favorite guys to listen to. So Patrick Mahomes, you know, for any quarterback who's had a minimum of 50 starts, Patrick Mahomes has won 67% of his games when he's had a negative defense and special teams EPA. And for what that means is basically that his team is at a disadvantage on the defensive side of the ball and on the special teams part of the game where they're not really helping him out very much, okay? He's won 67% of those games. That's insane. To put that into perspective, Tom Brady has won 53% of those games, which is also insane. And Peyton Manning won 52% of those games. Everybody else has won less than 33% of their games when that's the case. So it just goes to show you two things. One, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning were ridiculous, which we all know. And two, that even as ridiculous as they were, Patrick Mahomes right now may be better than those guys maybe now it's hard to say he's better than tom brady right now because look at brady's resume seven super bowls i mean he went to the afc title game 75 percent of his career like he played forever i mean 22 years crazy so we can't go there but there's a real case to be made that right now after five Full season starting that Patrick Mahomes is the second greatest quarterback who ever played. This is Pantheon level stuff, people. It's Pantheon level stuff. You, you just can't take the guy for granted. And all year, talking about the Bills, Bengals are getting a lot of buzz. And it feels like that he was taken for granted this season. He's inevitable. He's inevitable. You never, ever bet against the guy. Ever. You can't. How can you? Look at the resume that I just laid out. It's crazy. Can't bet against the guy. And I know, obviously, as a Giants fan, I can't stand the Eagles. I can't stand their fans. Um, I know the Eagles had a great year. I know Jalen Hurts was sensational, took a leap. The Eagles are going to look very different once they have to pay his contract, which they're going to do because he proved it on the biggest stage 
that he is about that life. Jalen Hurst was fantastic. But again, it's 15 in Kansas City and everybody else. And it felt good for somebody who appreciates greatness that Patrick Mahomes, after, you know, getting there a second time and, and getting creamed by Tampa that year, two and one looks a lot better than one and two. And this win for him and Andy Reid, by the way, puts them in a completely different stratosphere. Completely different stratosphere. Great game. I know a lot of people were complaining about the call. I mean, John Jastrzemski, New York, New York podcast, was complaining about the call way too much. Like, by the letter of the law, it, it was a hold. All right? I didn't like to see it called there. But if you're going to call it in the second quarter of a game, and I know he mentioned that they missed a call earlier. All right? Listen, referees are human. All right? It's, it, it's a hard sport to ref. I would prefer them to swallow the whistle, but I'm not going to get bent out of shape when they called a defensive hold and when the guy had clearly had a handful of the guy's jersey. Unbelievable game. Kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs and, and Patrick Mahomes just capping off what's been an unbelievable stretch of football in Kansas City. All right, a little bit of NBA news. So there was the big trade that happened basically about three hours after I dropped the last episode of the podcast. Kevin Durant gets traded to the Phoenix Suns for Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder, four first-round picks, Cam Johnson, and a pick swap. Jay Crowder then ended up going to Milwaukee for five second-round picks. I was on record saying I didn't think the Nets needed to do this. I didn't think they were going to do it. They did it. I mean... The Nets got a haul. I mean, Mikael Bridges is a really nice player. Cam Johnson is a really nice player and four first-round picks. I mean, we've seen it before. Teams that trade all these picks in the future, it doesn't always work out for them, whether it was the Boston Celtics with Pearson Garnett. When the Nets traded for those guys, didn't work out for the Nets very well. The trade to... James Harden to Brooklyn with the Nets didn't really work out for the Nets very well. And now this trade, while Kevin Durant is still really awesome, there is danger for the Phoenix Suns in this. But for Phoenix, the fit when KD is back, it's going to be seamless. Do I think they're going to win the title this year? No, because continuity matters. And you're just, even as malleable as Kevin Durant is on offense, it's only like 25 games left. Like, being together matters. So, next year, do I think they'll be scary? Yes, but again, you're still betting on an older Chris Paul. Kevin Durant's another year older. would be 35. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Do, do I think they will be a chief contender for the Western Conference Finals? Yes. I expect them to be there. We'll see how the seating breaks out. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what goes on. And um, as for the Knicks, they also made a trade. The Knicks traded Cam Reddish and a future first-round pick that may end up being a second-round pick for Josh Hart. And I waited to record this podcast because I wanted to see if they finally broke the curse and 
beat the Brooklyn Nets last night, which they did. Jalen Brunson went absolutely bonkers. And ever since he wasn't named for the All-Star team, he's been absolutely crazy, averaging basically 30 points a game. The efficiency's nuts. But for everybody who's saying that, like, he should be there over Drew Holiday, stop it. The Milwaukee Bucks are one of the three best teams in the league. They get two All-Stars. Drew Holiday is awesome both ends of the court. That's not the spot you should be complaining about. DeMar DeRozan, okay, fine. His teammate Julius Randle, okay, fine. And that maybe have been more of a positional thing, but those are your gripes, Knicks fans. It's not Drew Holiday, I'll tell you that much. But yeah, Brunson's been on fire. Josh Hart, the acquisition's great. He's a tough 3 and D guy, and he's rediscovered his three-point stroke. And the question was, whose minutes is he going to take in the rotation? I think he bumped out Deuce McBride. But it looks like that he's nudging R.J. Barrett out. And quite frankly, it's good because R.J. Barrett's been absolutely fucking terrible recently. I have zero confidence whenever he shoots. I never think it's going in, ever. I'm so sick and tired of watching him. And my, my anger towards him is getting Lance Thomas level. And not necessarily because of him per se. It's because all the stupid ass Nick fans who tried to convince me that he was the second coming of Jimmy Butler and LeBron James. So I had to push back. And it turns out that he is anything but. And for everybody on Twitter, on Nick's Twitter, who's making excuses for the guy, there's no more excuses. It's year four. They paid him $30 million a year this offseason. Four-year deal, $120 million. They gave him the extension. When that extension screwed them in a Donovan Mitchell trade. But okay, we're not going to go there again. Okay? I don't want to hear excuses. He got his extension and he's sucked. And honestly, if he wasn't making $30 million a year, he should be benched. Benched. Like zero minutes. Cam Reddish treatment, benched, had enough of watching him, and I don't want to hear it from Knicks fans defending him. Enough is enough already. Is his situation perfect? I don't know, but guess what? He's not nearly the caliber player where you make a situation tailor-made towards him, number one, and number two, he should be good enough to figure it the hell out, and he hasn't, and he's regressed. So I've had enough of R.J. Barrett. I can't stand watching him. If he played no minutes, it would be a win for the Knicks. If they could somehow flip him and whatever picks from Mikael Bridges in the offseason because the Nets have a plethora of wing 3 and D guys and just run the Villanova thing, that would be awesome. All right, so that's what the Knicks. Congratulations to the Knicks on beating the Nets after all the trades. They handed Ben Simmons his first career loss against the Knicks. And man, does Ben Simmons stink now. Um, one last thing before we get into tonight's guest, a fellow Believe podcast family member. Going to bring him on for the first time. The New York Rangers also made a trade. They brought in Vladimir Tarasenko from the St. Louis Blues. I've always talked about how in hockey, Sometimes it's like basketball, and you just need a guy who's going to get a proverbial bucket. Hockey, you just need a, a goal scorer. And Tarasenko has been one of the better goal scorers his entire career. 
I love this trade. It's a great move for them. The Rangers are as talented as ever. I mean, this is by far the best team they've had since the Cup run in 2014. I actually think top to bottom the roster is better. So we'll see how that goes. So great trade for the Rangers. Excited about them. With that said, we're going to bring on a first-time guest, a Believe Podcast family member, to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. A little Philadelphia 76ers. We'll get to him in just a matter of moments. As I mentioned in the monologue, I have a very special guest, a first-time guest, a Believe family member on the podcast because he's a Chiefs fan. He's also a Sixers fan. That's a little weird. It's uh, Tasia Dash. Tasia, how are we doing, buddy? Thanks for joining. No problem, man. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I know it's a weird combination. I get that all the time. So, I mean, you're having yourself quite a stretch right now, obviously, yeah. uh, with what happened Sunday. Uh, just your reaction to uh, Super Bowl 57. Uh, take me through your emotions, the ebbs and flows during the game. How confident were you in the Chiefs before the game? And, uh, and yeah, we'll take it from there. Um, so during game. So as a Chiefs fan, I've kind of been – put into this cycle of expect the unexpected, never believe that the score is what the final is going to be. Right. So I, even though we were down at one point, many you know, down for a little while, I wasn't that worried yet. Um, my brother as well. He's a, he's a Chiefs fan. So we were watching the game with our other brother who's a Raiders fan and crazy. Uh, and he was, he told me afterwards, he was starting to get a little worried, especially when, you know, Mahomes um, had the little pull up with his ankle uh, but a, I didn't think, man, we've seen this already. He's not going to come out of the game and, uh, B we've seen a million times to come back. So, I, I mean, I was, I'm not going to lie and say I wasn't worried. I was a little worried, <laughs> but, um, I didn't think it was over by any stretch stretch of it. Well, I don't know about you, but if I was a, uh, a chiefs fan, like I would have no stresses right now. I have no stresses because every single time you go into a game, you expect to win because, you know, 15's a superhero. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's weird because Chiefs fans have lifetime. If you listen to Nick Wright at all, you, you hear this all the time. It, it is a lifetime of a lot of heartache and a lifetime of expecting more and getting less um, out of the teams, out of the expectations. We've had some great regular season teams over the past since I've been a fan of the early 90s. We've had some amazing teams, number one teams, um, best offense teams, best defense teams, and we just get disappointed a lot. So it's kind of weird to be in the other side of it where we consistently have one of the better teams. Well, I have my own opinion on that. We'll get to that in a little bit. But one of the better teams and one of the best, the, the best player and there's still a little bit of that doubt, I guess, beat, beaten down on us from all those years. Sometimes mm -hmm. I expect things to go old school Chiefs ish and, and and blow it, but it's it's I'm I'm think I'm finally changed over now, and I, I I'm not the patriot. I have a lot of Patriot fan friends, and I always used to talk to them about you know where they went and how far they got. And I, I remember I used to talk to them after AFC Championships, and they'd be like, "All right, I mean, I don't care about this. Uh, this is like." And, this, and I'd be like, God, you're so spoiled. I go, you have no, you have no idea, man. What I, like, I know, I, he goes, but dude, it's been a lot of these. And now I get it. I'm not there yet, but I get it. It's like, and for these guys too, AFC Championship is. I mean, if you're a free agent coming to Kansas City, it, that's the floor, dude. 
Like you're you're looking at the floor and the ceiling. The floor is getting to the AFC Championship, and the ceiling is winning the Super Bowl. So when there's money is even close, how does that not play a part in it? Like at worst, I'm going to have a chance to get into the Super Bowl. I mean, as a player with aspirations, what more could you want? Well, it, it depends on what where the guy is in his career in terms of how much money he's made. But but I hear Correct. you. I mean. Yeah, I'm sure as, you know, the scars from the pre-Mahomes era run deep, but now, like, now those scars have to be going away, and that all changes because, you know, Patrick Mahomes is is Pantheon-level quarterback right now. Um, So, yeah, go. so that was your emotions going into the game. What was your biggest takeaway of the game itself? And did, were you on the Chiefs to win? Like, I, I'm, I'm sure you didn't bet against the Chiefs, but, like, did you, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, where were you at in terms of them just winning the game outright? Yeah, so I'm I'm a very risk-averse uh, better. So um, it's funny, too, because I look back at a lot of my bets. I try to – I don't go deep diving into past ones. I'm more of, like, a cornerback that gets beat. If you have a bad bet, just move on and go to the next one. But you can learn from certain things, at least – not the teams you bet on because I never believe in taking it personally. Because my friends at bed, they like hold it against that team for like a week. And I'm like, dude, you can't do that. You just need to move on. That was a bad night for them. They're a good team still. You can't just not bet them because you got your feelings hurt. I'm not one of those, but I, I do think there's something to learn from patterns. And I tend to buy points where I shouldn't, where I should just go with my initial instinct. Um, I took a couple of bets of us winning. I didn't take any with the Eagles winning, obviously, but the bet the, the the closest thing I came to that was buying points and taking um like plus seven and a half and like a huge parlay because I I, I had zero uh thoughts about us losing by more than that. We weren't gonna lose by more than that. We weren't gonna get killed. We weren't gonna get killed in two straight Super Bowls. Uh so I didn't think that was gonna happen. At worst, we were gonna lose, you know, by a touchdown where we were driving down to try to tie the game. So uh, most of my bets were, you know, either us winning up like plus three and a half or plus seven and a half. Um, takeaways from the game. So obviously, most of the conversation after the game has been about that last holding call. Um, generally, throughout the playoffs, it's been about the Chiefs getting calls. So I get into a lot of passion debates about this with friends and family. So a people act like we get given every call. Um, I read a stat recently that Mahomes has only had two uh, roughing the passers called on him all year. Okay. So there's that whole Mahomes, you can't touch Mahomes thing. That's, that's bullshit. So that's gone, right? That's number one. Two, if you look at the Bengals game and if you look at the Eagles game, we had more big plays taken away from us than the other team did. We had two touchdowns called back in those games. We had a, an interception call back in the Bengals game. And there are countless times where I saw many penalties on the Eagles. I mean, people have done slow-mos on Lane Johnson doing his false start routine on at least two or three different occasions. And I, I listened to the Niner players before that game. So I, going into it, I was looking out for that. But you know right. what? That's fine. Dude, <laughs> refs make misses. They make calls. There was another play where Juju got held right before yeah. halftime. And, and that was after they came back and scored. That was our I – think, I think it was our first possession since – it was a long time because we had the uh, fumble recovery for a touchdown and we hadn't touched the ball in a long time. So that was an important drive to get back on track before halftime that got screwed over because of that. But you know what? That it happens. I'm not going to go on and say, 
oh man, the refs, the refs screwed us if we had lost that game. Because you know what? I lived through the Buccaneer game where we had a record amount of penalties called against us in the first half. No one seemed to care because we got blown out, but no one wants to talk about us being blown out because we got called for a number, a record number of penalties in the first half. So, I, I mean, it, it's a terrible way to end the game with the lane, with the with the holding call against Juju. But okay, uh, teams win NBA games because they shoot free throws. Do we want to see that? No. But should they not call a penalty uh, and have him shoot free throws because the crowd doesn't want to see free throws ending a game? Who gives a shit? It's too bad. It's part of the game. And I've seen so many different analogies from people. I think Emmanuel Acho said, oh, if you're in favor of this, then I guess you're okay with um, people being pulled over going five miles above the speed limit. And then someone retorted back, which I love. Someone said, dude, if I see a state trooper in my rear view mirror, yeah, I'm going to be nervous if I'm going five miles over the speed limit. Because you know what? It is above the speed limit. So if you get pulled over, yeah, he's a he's a jerk. He's a jerk off cop, right? That pulled me over for a ticky tack five miles per hour. But at the same time, I was going over. So yeah, he's a jerk. But I, I, I he didn't just pull me over for nothing. I was going five over. So if you tell that story later on to your coworkers, they're gonna be like, "Well, don't go five over." <laughs> exactly, right? So I mean, I, 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 I am not gonna blame it on one play. I didn't want to see it end that way. But at the same time, man, I mean, don't call the offsides on us on when they were at the five yard line when when they got a first down because of that. What they shouldn't call that either, right? Because that ruins the game and it gave them a first down from the five yard line. No, you have to call it. It's it's a rule, you know. Yeah i I was okay with it. I mean, was was it a little grab? Sure, but it was a grab by the letter of the law. You know, that's the call, and if the refs see it. They, they have to call it. Uh, of course, you'd rather them swallow the whistle, but yes. But, I mean, that wasn't even my biggest takeaway. My biggest takeaway from this game was just how impressive the offensive line was. You know, we're, we're leaving 15 aside for a second, but the fact that he wasn't sure. sacked, uh, and partially that was obviously because of the game plan, not letting him take five-step drops on a gimpy ankle. Um you know, kudos to Andy Reid and and B- Eric Bieniemy for the for the Absolutely. game plan. But yeah, yeah, you know, totally. the offensive line held up. Hassan Reddick again. You didn't even call his name, and he was a popular Super Bowl MVP bet. If you were looking for a bit of a long yep. shot, like that's it's- like no joke right there. That that to me was the biggest takeaway, and the fact that you know, and from the Eagles side, like you know, Jalen Hurts is a is a real player, and. The Eagles played so well on offense for about 90% of that game. And yeah. when you have 15, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so O-line, I attribute that to a few things. Um, one, the field was was terrible. I noticed that from the first quarter. I was like, dude, what is with this field? This yeah, is but, it's terrible for, but it's terrible for everybody, no, right? It, it, you know, it, it, it offensive is. line it that is. are going backwards, backpedaling off – you know, off the line of scrimmage. I mean, it can't be easy for them either. It, it can't be, and I'm, I'm not making that an excuse for them, obviously. <laughs> but but if you have two speed rushers that like to turn the corner at an angle like they do, it yeah. is going to affect them big time. So that's one. Two is that both of our tackles are essentially in contract years. So just like everyone says, bet on a DN in a contract year, well, bet on the guy guarding him too, because right. if, the, if if all they need to do to make money is stop the guy in front of them, and that's that, that's the last thing standing in their way on the biggest game of the season, bet on that as well. So both our tackles are in contract years. That was also huge. 
Three, I think an underrated uh, uh, factor of this, like you said with the five-step, anti-five-step drops, is that Mahomes and the O-line took it personally when he hurt his ankle. And they, I think they all just stepped up their game. It was like, you know what, dude? We're not going to let you get touched for these next two games. And and I, I have a feeling if we could just redo it, I mean, granted, I'd rather have Mahomes 100% and no ankle issue. But if he didn't get the high ankle sprain, I think he would have been sacked more in these last two games. I just think he would have. I think they would have They would have just – not that they would have tried as hard. I just think that when your quarterback gets hurt like that, the guys in front of you have to take it personally, and they obviously did. Well, and they probably could have been a little bit more loosey-goosey with the play calling, and which could have led True. to, uh, to yes. sacks. Because, you know, and this was like the Russell Wilson thing, that sometimes guys who like to scramble hold on to the ball a little bit. They yeah. have heard of the sacks. It's not necessarily in the offensive lineman. But, okay, so let's set the scene. It, it's the first half. Obviously, you get the big scoop and score. The time of possession and the total yardage was totally in the Eagles' favor. 24-14, going into halftime, where was your head at? Because for me, as somebody who was obviously pulling for the Chiefs, I was like, this could have been so much worse. And the fact that they get the ball, you know, it, it's still, because 15 is 15, it's it's a toss-up. So immediately when, when they score their touchdown, the Eagles, I looked at the time. We I think we had two, just, just over two minutes, and I was like, okay, score here and then and then score after halftime and dude this all this is erased it's just yeah easier said than done but again when you have 15 that, that's just that that's the execution part of it that you're expecting so i was like okay score so i was disappointed we didn't score i going back to calls again if you want to if people want to say it was rick for the chiefs they would have kept that second fumble with sanders a fumble and a return touchdown they did yeah, not but that wasn't return. a fumble you, you, you know what it wasn't a fumble but a lot of people said that they at first didn't think it was because it was in fast, regular motion. When you slowed it down, it looked like he, it was a hop step. It was a quick step, but he took like two and a half and turned his body. I'm just saying like I, I had a tweet yesterday in high school football because my, my brother's a high school football coach. He's like, you know what, though? And he was not rooting for it. He's a Raider fan, just for the record. He was like, in regular football, that's a friggin' fumble, dude. That's a fumble and you don't think about it again. Like that, that he turned his body. He got a hit, let go of the ball. Like in a high school football game, I would not even argue that as a fumble. That that's a fumble, and that's how you go. And they called it that way, remember? So they're usually inclined to keep a call, right? Right. So I'm not saying they should have kept it when they overturned it. I was like, okay, move on. But if we had lost, I could go back and complain about that, right? right. Um, so going into halftime, I just we had the ball. I love that we got the ball after halftime. I was really happy when we deferred. Um, we just need to score, dude. We just need to score and just move on. We've been there before. We've done that before. And that's that's the beauty of, of, of our past and what we've done with Patrick is that he's we've been in almost every situation already. It's crazy. It's like a it's like a simulator beta test where you, you put him through every single possible outcome and see how and, and they have to adapt. Like he's always done this since he was coming out of the coming into the league. He, he I remember one of the first stories I read about him. In training camp, after that famous, I don't know if you remember that famous five interception day in training camp where everyone's like, oh, man, Mahomes is a bust. Um, Reed said, uh, I'm not upset about the interceptions. What what makes me happy and impressed about him is that he rarely makes the same mistake twice. So if he throws an interception for something, he will not do it again. 
Um, and and I've really seen that in his play. I rarely do. I'd be like, dude, you did it again. I, I've never said that about him. And he always adapts really well. He takes when you give him. He's like um, Doomsday, the Superman a villain. Um, he just adapts to it. And you can't kill him the same way again because he's he knows how to get over that now. So uh, watching him come out of the second half, I, I, I thought he'd adjust. Um, I was more impressed by our defense adjustments, to be honest with you. Um, they looked like they had a great game plan going into it. I knew they were going to try to get their third shorts and then dominate that way, and that's exactly what they were doing. Um, and we adjusted, man. Like I, I got to hand it to our really, really young defense that adjusted outside of that. I just I thought we'd slow them down a little bit, and then we'd turn up the heat on offense. And that's I mean that's pretty much what happened. Not that I well, placed any halftime bets. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, defensively, I mean. You know, Steve Spagnuolo, you know, former Giant, uh, as as you well know, uh-huh. obviously likes to likes to bring you know blitzes. And I thought it was it was smart where he he kind of picked and chose the spots. Like he didn't yeah. do it early, um, but he he had a couple in the second half to kind of just change the pace up a little bit. But mm-hmm. he focused on the Eagles' running game, and not so much Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts got his yards and got his. God, his attempts were up. That was that was a prop that 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 cash that I uh that oh, I yeah last week was uh rushing attempts over ten and a half. I mean he hit that in the first half. But the fact yeah. that Miles Sanders couldn't get anything going, they needed to just keep Mahomes off the field. And as well as they were passing the ball, and as well as Jalen Hurts was running the ball, they couldn't keep him off the field enough and especially with the turn with the excuse me the possession switching over with the Chiefs getting the ball first they just didn't have enough juice so yeah it was a little bit bend don't break I mean they did score 35 points the uh yeah but it was bend don't break and 15 you know bails you out at all times when they went up 35 27 did you think they should have gone for two to make it a nine-point game, or were you okay with the uh, kicking the extra point? We talked about that in my house, actually. Um, I thought I didn't think we'd go for it. I think we'd kick the extra point just because Reed already kicked that field goal earlier. It showed that he was leaning more to his conservative side as far as scoring goes. Um, I no, I was okay with that. I was a little scared that. Didn't get that. I, I'm not, I don't doubt the Eagles would go for two to win the game at that point. Well, to tie the game, sh- tie the game. It was an no, eight no, no, game. no. I'm saying if we miss, if we went for two and didn't get it, right, right, right. Okay. I, I wouldn't doubt the Eagles go down and go for two. They, their short yardage was killing us. They could have done a sneak for two yards. I think they would have gone for maybe two for two and won the game there. I don't right. know if they would have gone into overtime against us. I don't think they would. They wanted to. I think he saw where the momentum changed and. So I was scared about that. If we don't get this, then what they're going to go for two and win this game. I can see, I can see the tea leaves, right? Uh, I can read them. Um, so no, I, I I was okay with that decision. Um, make them score, make them go for two, make them have to earn it. Um, and that two point conversion that he got was just that was just so ridiculous. We had three guys in the vicinity of that with Jalen Hurts, and and even the field there, those guys couldn't turn and go upfield. They were running sideways. And they could they just like they couldn't get their foot in the dirt. It, it was just unbelievable. They just kept running on skates pretty much, and and he you know he plowed into them. And that that was that they're, they're sure yardage game, man. It's 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 impressive. I I was it's very frustrating. I, I've read all kinds of stuff about them saying they're gonna you know try to look at the rules. It's like man, is that what we're doing every year now? We're changing rules based on successful teams' game plan, dude. 
I, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Every year, it, it's changing the rule because you lost a certain way. The Niners want 15 quarterbacks on the roster on game day because their guys keep getting hurt because their O-line can't protect their quarterbacks. Like, dude, what what is this? I, I mean, the overtime rules change because 13 seconds with Buffalo. It's- I'm actually in favor of the overtime change, personally. Are you? Yeah, I am. I, I think I mean, every team. I think Chiefs every team should get the, that against against the Pats once upon a time. Uh, yeah, of course. I, I was in favor of it then too. Yeah, no one favor- gave a shit. No one gave a shit when the Chiefs lose because of it, though. <laughs> oh, stop crying! All right, you've won two Super Bowls in the last five years. Stop! Stop and, with the "woe is me" garbage. I don't want to hear it. And, and how did we lose that game? Because of a stupid offsides penalty. Well, they shouldn't call that such a big situation, right? It was offsides. Exactly. At the end of the day, do I hate that it happened that way? Yeah, but it, that, it, he's the idiot. And, you know, we didn't sign him for the next year probably because of that. So, he poured, he poured. All right. So, you guys got a W, a great W. Um, and, and, and EB is still not going to get hired. That's weird to me. I don't want to get into that whole thing because it, it's weird, but it's almost like if you're him, wouldn't you? You know, being the head coach, I, I know you want you want to run the ship, but like he's got it pretty good right now. He he, he can pretty good. He can ride it out with the best quarterback in football. It's a little less stressful. I mean, he's not going to be you know constantly on the hot seat when you get hired to a new bad team, right? Like you're immediately on the hot seat depending on the organization. Like, it's not – it's weird that he's not getting more interviews, but for him it's it's really not that bad. Okay, so now big picture Chiefs, right, after this win. Mm-hmm. With with the cap sheet uh, going forward, like, how much longer do you think this, this run can go? Like, is there any end in sight? And have you guys become the new New England Patriots? So this year was actually a retooling year. Uh, right, by many the Tyree Kill trade. Yeah, the Tyree Kill trade and just um, changing out a lot of uh, players that had big numbers, Tyron Matthew. There were a lot of changing, and, and we went to a lot of young guys and a lot of rookies who have lower cap numbers. Our cap situation looks fantastic right now. Um, that's why a lot of people were saying if you were going to beat the Chiefs, this was the year to do it because after this – uh, it's you know it's blue skies because we have a lot of money, we have a lot of picks, um, we have a lot of flexibility, man. I, I think, I think we're gonna make big moves. And, and, and I was talking to my brother um, about this, and, and and I don't like I see so much people falling in love with their team after they win a Super Bowl. I mean, obviously you you have you know affinity toward them, you, you care about them, but I don't want to. Everyone's like, oh, resign this guy, bring it all back. You can't do that. And here's why. Because you have an entire league, schemes, coaches, players, all planning around beating us. They are all – that. that is their number one goal. How do we – you know when they're in film, they, you've heard, they talk about it. One, one room, is this going to work against Patrick? Is this going to work against the Chiefs? How is this going to work against them? You have a teams almost revolving around beating us because – Beating us means beating, winning a Super Bowl at this point. It's almost become synonymous, which is absolutely insane. But you can't stamp out. You can't do that. You, you have to keep getting better and, and act as if you didn't win it the year before. So I think we're going to make. I think we're going to make really big splashes this year. Um, we were for a long time odds-on favorite to get Hopkins. Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but we were for like last month or so. 
Um, I think we'll I think we'll make a big splash of receiver. I think we need to account for Kelsey's aging. I mean, as amazing as he's been and as as uh, sturdy as he's been, he's been healthy um, and reliable. You can't just keep counting on that. That's not fair to him and everyone else. And if you want more years out of Travis, um, get him more help. That way, he's not shouldering the load for an entire offense. Um, I I would be totally great. I know he wants to resign. Juju wants to resign. I would be totally great on bringing him back. I don't want to really spend more money than he's made. Um, the Chiefs give a lot of really fair incentive-laden deals, and I'm fine with that. If a guy performs and we win, you get your money, dude. I- I'm, I'm totally okay with that. But just giving a blank check to a receiver who can get 50 catches and 800 yards and still make $14 million seems nuts to me. Um, if you have a great year, get paid great. If you don't have a great year, then don't get paid as great. I mean, a lot of jobs are like that. Why would receiver be any different? Um, but yeah, I, I think we're well, going to go Well, especially when year. you get to play with Patrick Mahomes, uh, incentive-laden deals generally hit because, you know, you put up monster numbers. I mean, they were the number one offense this year. And you get incentive, you know, bonuses for making it far in the playoffs. And you've been to five straight AFC title games. I think he got a million for his Super Bowl performance for playing more than 50% of snaps and winning. So there you go, man. I mean, it's not – so mo- most teams, like – give me an – I'll give you an example. Okay, Cardinals. Cardinals signed somebody right now, and it's like, hey, man, I'll give you $10 million to win the Super Bowl. That's great, dude. What the hell does that mean? That's like a that's like an expiring check. Like, I, I don't want to do that. You're not going to win. So that means nothing to me. But, like, when the Chiefs do that, you're like, huh. Well, that's actually a possibility. We got, I mean, that's about, that's a pretty good, that's, I mean, we're the odds on favorite to win next year already. So that right there is telling me that I have a shot at that. We, I, I will have a chance to perform in the Super Bowl. So again, like I said in the beginning, it's, it's so appealing to a player, especially an aging player. Um, I saw Keenan Allen congratulating us after he, his famous tweet that people keep saying as a freezing cold take is a, uh, uh, at the beginning of the year that uh, someone's going to, someone's about to get exposed this year. And I think he was talking about Patrick. So after the Tyreek Hill trade, so I can yeah, see... I'm not so sure about that. Which part? Oh, I think I getting exposed. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> that's just him being a, a Charger hater. I mean, that's what that is. But in the second he gets, the second he gets cut, let's say he does get cut, where do you think he's going to show interest in? Come on, of course. Now. You're, you're of course. turning thirty. You're turning thirty. You want a receiver. You want two things. You want to maximize your stats. You want to maximize your chance of winning. Mahomes is going to maximize both those things, your chance at stats and your chance at winning, and, and make it easier for you and fun. You're not, like, scratching and clawing to get it done, right? You, you'll you have fun doing it. So um, It has got to be – yeah. It's got to be so awesome to be a Chiefs fan. It, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to root for that guy week in and week out. And uh, to say that I'm jealous of you a little bit, it would be an understatement. I mean – as a Giants fan, I've seen two Super Bowls in my lifetime, so I'm not like completely depressed about the Giants constantly. But it's got to be freaking awesome. All right, we are gonna take well, a quick you're, you're, break. your arrow. Oh, go your arrow's going up, though, right? I mean, you, I mean, you got the Coach of the Year, and you guys oh, no, really we're, we're, um, we're okay. We're okay, but you know, it. I get it. You're not the guys. Chiefs. Like 15 don't grow on trees. <laughs> all right. I mean, Ryan Rosillo had the stat that. Patrick Mahomes has won 67% of his games when he had a negative defense and special teams EPA. 67%. Tom Brady, who, again, doesn't grow on trees, won 53%. And Peyton Manning, who, again, also didn't grow on trees, 
won 52% of those games. Everybody else was under 33%. So he's That's... 14% above Tom Brady and 15% over Peyton Manning. That's nuts. Yeah, I don't... I don't think people consider that enough when they were talking about because when you heard a lot of analysts talking about the the Eagles Chiefs Super Bowl, they kept their their final um, um, decider about who's going to win is do the classic of who are the top ten best players. But that's not right because you got to look at the importance of position. We win the quarterback, which is the by far the most important position, and as good as Hertz is, we win that by a large margin between those two. So. Yeah, you could have eight of the best 10 players in that game, but if the most important impactful position is is on one side, that, that takes out like four of those better players in the other positions because they're not that far off either, some of those guys. So it, it, it's funny to see that happen, and we have a huge cap number. I think it's the I think it's the team I saw yesterday. We, we won the Super Bowl with the quarterback taking the largest percentage of a cap yes. of all time. Yes. Um, I think I think 17% of the cap is what he, uh, he he's taking up. Um, but like I always say, because everyone's a go at Kansas City, but my brother always said this. He's a Raider fan. He was like, you guys are about to be in cap hell. I'm like, no, we're not, because he's worth every penny. This isn't us giving Carr $40 million, dude. He's worth every single yeah. penny that he gets. It's, you can pay it, it's your quarterback. Different. It's just different. Yeah, he's you can different. pay your quarterback. Yeah, it's like it's – like, yeah, I'm not going to pay an average quarterback elite money, but I'll pay an elite quarterback elite money. Yeah. That's fine. As long as the money's well spent and it's a good investment, then you can spend a lot. You just can't spend a lot for something that's worth less than what you're giving it. That's the problem. So people automatically think quarterback, a lot of money, bad. Quarterback, a lot of money, bad. No, but he's just not a quarterback. He's Mahomes. So give him whatever the hell he wants. Move on. You know what I mean? Like, he'll adjust. We did not have the best roster I got a lot of heat with Chief fans actually because in the final four teams, we had by four by far the largest quarterback number. I think we were doubling the top four other three quarterbacks in, in salary, and they had all the top to bottom better rosters than us out of the top four top four teams left. But that's the thing; like, we're they're not even in our reality yet. Wait till those teams get to where we are when Burrow gets paid, when Hurts gets paid. Those rosters, man, are going to look a lot different. Yep. So uh, we're already there. We've gone ahead and done that whole year of retooling. That's going to be a hard transition for teams to make. Yeah, it's it, it's why the Dak Prescott contract is so incredibly damaging, yes. as I've said multiple, multiple times. In a salary cap sport, I don't care that the cap goes up. I don't care that you know each contract for quarterbacks resets the market. I don't care. In a salary cap sport, if you pay somebody elite money who's average, you lose, right? That, so, that's the way it works. It's just like why I'm freaking out about the R.J. Barrett contract extension for the New York Knicks. And we're going to transition to the Sixers in just a second. Um, but they're paying him $30 million, and he sucks. And in a salary cap sport – you can't have those things. So yeah, Mahomes is worth any every penny. Let me a- let me ask you real fast, Aaron, uh, before we change topics. So, based on what we just talked about, what's your opinion about Daniel Jones and his contract? I think, I think he's going to get paid. I think he's going to fall somewhere between the twenty to twenty-five million dollars a year. No way! No way! I, I don't know. I think, you. you- You'd love that, wouldn't you? No way. Absolutely. No, but I, I, I also, I also think the Giants are 
are willing to move on if it exceeds that number. I really do. Okay. I really think they're they're willing to move on. But even if he got thirty, I'm a, I'm okay with it yeah, if Dable and and Kafka are in line, right? Because then then the trajectory arrow is going up. If Kafka moves on somewhere else. And for some reason, Date Ball isn't there, which I don't see how that's the case, considering he just won Coach of the Year. Yep. It, I'm okay with it, given his age and the trajectory that we've seen this year from the previous regime, if the regime is there. But no, I, I think if he's going to command 40, I think they're going to walk away. I do. Yeah, trade him for whatever you can get for him. I, I totally agree. He's not the guy, and I don't think he will be that guy. And it's gonna hurt the, you. The only thing is, is if you look at the at the quarterbacks in the NFC, like that you'd be going against to get to the Super Bowl. Besides for and and I take Aaron Rodgers out of the equation because I actually think yeah, he'll be in yeah, the yeah, AFC. Yeah. But like if yeah. you look at like the guys, besides for Jalen Hurts and and Jared Goff, who is really good this year, how many quarterbacks right now are better than Daniel Jones? Quarterbacks. Not in the NFC, as many. Yeah. In the NFC, like, I don't think there. I don't think there are any. So, with that being the case, because I, I, don't tell me Dak Prescott, don't tell me Kirk Cousins. I'm not buying it. I don't care. Uh, so, in that specific case for the Giants, I'm I'm okay with it. But I, I do. They think, are they are better, but it's marginal. It's very small. Right, but I and I do think the Giants, if it gets too pricey, I do think they're they are willing to walk away. They are willing to walk away that way. With that said, we are going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back talk about a little bit about the Philadelphia 76ers and some NBA thoughts. So, yeah, kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl champions. That run looks like it's going to continue for many years to come. Switching gears to the 76ers and the NBA. So you host the Sixers podcast with Eric Snow, which, by the way, I – I'm looking to be a guest on because I have some very strong opinions about your Philadelphia 76ers. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Uh, Currently right now, after a slow start, they're what, 37 and 18. They are third place in the Eastern Conference. How are you feeling about your Sixers going into basically the all-star break? And have they entered that elite class of the NBA? Um... And so we have just consistency issues that keep us out of that top tier. I think we're right there uh, near Milwaukee and Boston in the East. Um, I just think they have the, just the experience of getting there. I I can say I'm, I think we're close all day long in the regular season, but honest truth is that they've done it in the playoffs and we just haven't yet. So that's always looming. Um, It's kind of like with the chiefs before they actually finally made that run to beat the Niners. It's like, we can't take them seriously until they do this in the playoffs. So I think they look great. Um, I like the deadline moves. I know people don't love the Dwayne Deadman signing. Um, I just, I don't think we were going to get anyone that doc was going to play major minutes anyway. Um, I think he's kind of stubborn and committed to who he's playing right now. So uh, I love the McDaniels move. I like where we're headed, man. I like our team a lot. Um, And if they could play like this in the playoffs, then we're talking about championship contender, but it all comes down to that really. Well, the Dwayne Denman move is a good move because 
he's just not Montrez Harrell. And we've seen <laughs> Montrez yeah. Harrell play in the playoffs, and it's incredibly gruesome. It's uh, frustrating. It's just, yeah, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And, like, kudos to Lou Williams, who's not one of my favorite players, but he made Montrez Harrell a whole lot of money um, yeah. by their days in uh, in Clipperland uh, running the second unit. But I think the Sixers are really good. I I Before the season started, I predicted that they'd be the one seed. Okay. Uh, I thought they were just going to go for it because they have a lot to prove. I think Joel Embiid has a lot to prove, and he's on an MVP-type mission. Again. I think uh, uh, Mr. Harden definitely has a lot to prove, and we'll get to him in yep. a second. Uh, yep. So I thought they were going to take the season regu- the regular season very seriously. And, yeah, they started out of the gate slow. Uh, they had a little bit of injury um, issues, but I thought yeah. they were yeah, we you know, bringing in – Melton in the offseason was a, was a great signing. And, and oh, oh, man, huge. Yeah, now he's starting, and, and Maxi, who kudos to him for being extremely professional and extremely mature for a guy that good, that young, to, you know, accept the six-man role coming off of injury because the team was rolling. Like, you can't say enough about that guy. I love his potential. I love where he he's heading. So, yeah. I'm excited about the Sixers. I know I get excited about the Sixers every year, it seems (laughs) like, and I get disappointed. And it's weird for me as somebody who's made his brand being anti-James Harden. um, I kind of like the Sixers. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they were in the NBA Finals. I was never a Harden guy, actually. It's funny. Um, I, I just didn't like the game. I didn't like the foul baiting. I didn't like that what he was turning the NBA into. But it's so far beyond him at this point. I mean, he might have been one of the guys to kind of bring it there, but he's certainly not the guy abusing it the most now. So um, I, I, so with the Sixers, although I love the potential this season, we're, we're so – we're so unfinished. If Maury was painting a picture of what this team is supposed to be, it's not done. It's 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 never going to be done until we can figure out and have him replace Tobias Harris with what he wants to replace that with. Because I, Tobias I think has if, been solid for them this year, though. He yeah, he was solid in the beginning of the year, and he picked up a lot of slack when we were missing guys. He's had a rough stretch here. Uh, I, I think since. My brother read the stat out on the, uh, the Believe in 76ers podcast. Um, he, uh, I think he's 27% from three since he made that. Tell your friend to tell your friend. He's um, a sharpshooter. He has been anything but since then. Um, Eric brought up yesterday, actually, that he feels like he's having a hard, he's having a hard time adjusting to Maxi being on the bench. Um, and that Maxi opened a lot of opportunities for him to kind of have easier shots, whereas now he's doing a lot more ISO. Um, I just feel like he's being a little gun shy. I feel like he's not just taking shots and and letting it rip. He's thinking a little too much. Um, but like you said about Maxi, I, I, dude, he is. He had a little rough stretch for about a week there. Um, he said he needed to refocus and find his spirit. Um, it's tough, man. That's tough to adjust. I mean, Maxi's probably been the guy on his team since he was a kid, and and now he's averaging 20 points a game and he's on the bench. Um, I know it's a six man. He still gets probably the fourth, third or fourth highest minutes on the team. 
But, you know, these guys look at it as a demotion. They just do. Yeah. And that's the sad truth about it. And, and it's not, but it is. But uh, kudos to him for taking on the way he has. And he's still growing in that role. So, um, but overall, I don't think we're a finished product. I think we're going to have to wait till Tobias's contract becomes tradable after this season. Um, and then we'll get to really see what Maury had envisioned for this team all along. Because I just don't think this is the team that this is not his final product. I think after he does whatever he needs to do in the off season, I think that'll be like, okay, now if we don't win this with this, it's over. Uh, well, this, then, this, win, this window's done. Well, then, I mean, you're also have to factor in the James Harden uh, extension, what that's yes. going to look like. Yes. And, and yeah, the Sixers are in such an interesting place and they've been in such an interesting place for a while with Embiid and, and, and first it was, you know, uh, the tankathon with, uh, with, uh, what, what was his name again? I, I'm forgetting. Okafor. Um, yeah. Uh-oh, Hinky. Hinky. Damn Hinky. Hinky. Right. You had the, uh, the process <clears throat> and then Ben Simmons forgot how to play basketball. Oh man. Flipped, that's tragic. He was flipped for James Harden with, in a trade where, you know, I'm not the biggest Harden guy, but it, you know, the Sixers killed that trade. Cause at least Harden can play um will play and so and so yeah it's it's just they're in such an interesting moment where they can swing from you know potential nba finals team nba champions all the way to joel Embiid is now frustrated and and is the next guy to demand the trade i think joel just loves philly too much i know people have been saying that for years i don't see that happening because him and maury are i you know what as a chiefs and sixers fan man i really am blessed to have two good management groups and and maury is a legit um a front office guy and and him and Embiid have an amazing relationship so i think he's telling Embiid every step of the way what he envisions and what he wants um if you look back at all of maury's teams what's his best power forward that he ever had i i can't even think of the big names that they've all been you know uh three not three and d they all been stretch fours um, I don't think he wants a forty million guy, forty million dollar guy in Tobias Harris at four. I don't think it's necessary. I think he'd rather have a really, really high end three. Is what he'd rather have and put PJ at four. Um, so I, I just think there's things to be done to this team. Um, it's not one of those that if this team doesn't work out this year, then we're like, what do we do next? It's pretty obvious what we do next. So uh, as much as I love to win um, the championship this year. I still think there's moves to be made and, and, and tinkering to be done because, you know, Tobias making what he makes with us is just not – I mean, it's hard to win with that, dude. It's it's just really hard to win with a guy making that much that you're getting 16 points a game from. This is his lowest points, rebounds, and assists since he's been with Philadelphia, Tobias. Windows in the NBA are tricky, though, because they turn on a dime. Like, you just saw – I mean, take the Phoenix Suns, for example – you, mm-hmm. They were trending way down. Obviously, they were playing better, but, you know, Chris Paul's aging. Devin Booker's still Devin Booker, but, like, you wouldn't put them in the top tier of contenders. Then they swing a trade for Kevin Durant, which seemed unlikely considering, you know, DeAndre Ayton wasn't the asset he was in the offseason. Like, then all of a sudden their window opens, like, an extra two years. But then if they don't win it this year, like, Chris Paul's, like, 37, right? So it Yeah, just, man. You got to take advantage where you can take advantage. Uh, so, but talk to me about totally. Joel Embiid for a second. He's been the runner-up for the MVP the last two years. I actually thought he should have, he or Giannis should have won it last year. Um, 
because I think, you know, as great as Jokic was, I, I just thought those guys had a better case. I actually think Jokic has the best case this year. Uh, so, But to, talk to me about Embiid and what it's like to watch him day in and day out. And is this the year he actually uh, gets his elusive MVP trophy? It's crazy because I remember watching Embiid when he was playing his minute restriction games. And I was just in awe of, like, of, of everything about him, how big he was, how he moved. He was just so much bigger than everyone. And I, I would tell friends who – some of them weren't even big basketball fans. I'd be like, dude, you got to watch this guy play. And they'd come on, they'd be like, is that guy for real? Like, is he, like, is he, like, really good? I'm like, watch him. And it was just incredible. And and he he literally, in those high-efficient minute restriction minutes that he had, he's just doing the same exact thing, but just more minutes. He has not become less yeah. efficient. He's just a monster, dude. And when I watched him and Jokic play last week, for instance, or two weeks ago, whatever it was, um, you could just see the difference in the impact of the game. Um, and I think Jokic is a great player. I, I'm not one of those Jokic or Embiid. I think both are great. I'm not one of those. You have to. Pick. I, I hate that you have to pick one nowadays. You have to pick one or the other. Like I like waffles, and I like pancakes. I don't have to choose right. one or the other. It, it doesn't mean I like the other one less. Okay, like I like both. I, I like right. Jokic a lot. I just think Embiid overall. The biggest difference for me is who can who can guard who. I think Embiid at the end of the day can slow down Jokic, even though in the end, I think it was P.J. Tucker shutting him down, which is even crazier. Uh, P.J. Tucker would not be able to do that with Embiid. Let me put it that way, okay? The way P.J. Tucker that was, was, that was a down scheme, Jokic. That was a scheme thing. That was a it team was. defensive thing. That wasn't a P.J. Tucker thing. No, he wasn't ISO on him by any means, but... <laughs> and the crazy... I mean, put, hold on one second. The crazy part about that game, because I was going to reference that game, too, as, like, an illuminating moment in an MVP case, is that Jokic, like, had an off-night and he was still 24-9. and nine. He did. It was a bad fourth quarter, though. Like, yeah, yeah, look yeah. at where he where he came up limp was in the, where the game mattered, though, right? So that, that's yeah. a big moment for him. Um, and Jokic has been pulled from playoff games due to, you know, schemes. So you're not pulling Embiid off the court ever. You're not doing it. Doc right. would be fired. Uh, Embiid would demand a trade if he was pulled off in a playoff game because of schemes or defense or being pulled out to the three. Because that's the beauty of it, dude. Embiid can guard at the three-point line. I've seen Embiid guard guards around the court, chase them around. They can't get a shot off. Jokic can't stick with guards. So you're taking a guy who can guard multiple positions against a guy who gets pulled because he can't guard a position. Um, I just think – I don't like how the NBA picks and chooses when defense matters. I, I, that bothers me. Because sometimes they make it like the end-all, be-all, and, and that's their case for Drew Holiday getting into the All-Star game. Yeah, when we want to talk about you know MVP races, no one wants to talk about Embiid's defense. Um, and and I, I, think it's, I think it's unfair. I, I think in these – I think when it's all said and done, when their careers are over, Embiid's going to be – you're going to look back at his career and be like, how the hell did he not win MVP in one of those years? And you're going to be like, Jokic. Well, I mean, Jokic did that like all the time. Like that's – why didn't we give the MVP to Russ every year then, averaging triple doubles? Why didn't he just win it every year? Well, I th- I th- I think Jokic's impact is a little bit more. I think it's being undersold a little bit, but I but I understand. Well, because because Jokic has the rings. <laughs> well, I, well, I, you can't make the rings argument for for Embiid just yet. No, no, no. I'm talking about a, a comparison of, of Westbrook and and Jokic. Oh, um, no. I just you know the, the advanced stats all bear out and again i'm not like some analytics guy i'm more of an uh, here, here comes I, the vorp 
Here comes the Vorp. Yeah, argument. I'm more of an eye test guy, <laughs> but like I also see that like Jokic, he just makes everybody on that team just appreciably better. And the guy, by all accounts, is such an awesome, awesome teammate. And low maintenance, still putting up crazy numbers, and it's just like he's tremendous. But yeah, but back to Embiid because I I think Embiid's gonna get it this year. Uh, that game we referenced where he gave Jokic forty seven and thirteen, and just like there was a an fu to Embiid that night, you know where he took it so personal, and he has respect for Jokic, right? Like. But he just took it so personal, and I absolutely loved it. I loved that mentality that guys don't need to be buddy-buddy, kiss and hug after every freaking game, that he was like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to try to annihilate this guy. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. And in an MVP conversation, which sometimes is is a little narrative-driven, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It is what it is. But – like those things matter. And the maddening part about the Sixers is they have games like that. And again, the Nuggets are awesome. The Nuggets are the best team in the Western Conference. Like yeah. they're, they're no slouch, right? They have games like that. And then they have games where they lose to, you know, the Boston Celtics without any players. And you're just like, well, what is this? Like, what is this? And I guess that's the hesitancy between, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, who I think are the best team in the Eastern Conference, and the Sixers is because even though the Bucks have struggled on offense and they have reasons for that because the Middleton injury and, and all this stuff and Giannis being taxed, like they just don't have clunkers like that. Or, yeah. or if they do, it doesn't seem as often. And yes. they get the benefit of the doubt because they won it, right? When you win it, the monkey is off your back. You get the benefit of the doubt. But I, I'm intrigued by the Sixers. I think this is the year Embiid wins it. We don't always put the pedal to the metal. That is one of the problems. That was the, that was the problem at the beginning of the year. And P.J. Tucker called it out. And even before he did, I told uh, I told the guys on the show, I was like, it just seems like we're waiting for the other team to be like, oh, the Sixers are stacked. Let's lose this game. Like, that's not how it works, dude. You These guys want it just as bad as you do. They get paid. They go out there and they get paid. And they have incentive. They have all kinds of stuff they're, they're playing for. Uh, so you can't expect people to lose for you. I just think it's usually after a great game, too. I was not shocked that we laid an egg after Denver. I felt like we were like, okay, we proved it. Now we can, like, take it easy for a moment. And you can't right. take it easy, man. That's the thing. Yeah. There's no taking it easy here. So um, I think – but see, we have the opposite of what you said too. We have games where we have a bunch of guys out, and we beat teams that are fully loaded. We beat Brooklyn without, I think, Harden and Embiid that in our first yeah. game, and they had all their guys. So NBA is weird like that; it just kind of happens um, sometimes. I was well, look, look at what happened Boston last. Game. Yeah, look at what happened in, in the Milwaukee Boston game last night. No Tatum, no Brown. Milwaukee, you know. It wasn't even playing that poorly, but Boston comes out like gangbusters. Derek White is turning into like, man, like prime Steve Nash, and then I you know, have man. an overtime game. Yeah, and and, and I mean, dude, not that I, there's only so many games I can say. Oh, they were just lights out from three against us. We got to guard the three better, but against Boston, dude, you're not going to win when Hauser and Griffin combine for 29 points. It ain't happening. Yeah. Like those guys, if those guys give you 12 or 14 combined, it's a bonus. 
29, you're going to lose. So they were just – they couldn't miss that night. They were just out of their minds. Um, and that made up for Tatum having, I think, 12 points that game. So that was an egg by us. I mean, only scoring 99 was weak. I was more upset about that. Um, but, yeah, that's why I put Boston and Milwaukee still firmly ahead of us. I actually think we match up better against Milwaukee than we do Boston. We just don't have the wing defenders to guard uh, Brown and and Tatum all game. It's going to be a problem for us. So um, that's going to – I mean, hopefully the seeds shake out to where we can avoid both those teams as long as possible. But you got to play who's in front of you, right? Last question before I let you go, and this has been great. I thank you so much for the time. Uh, oh, who yeah, makes dude. you more nervous in a playoff series, James Harden or Doc Rivers? <laughs> we had, I think we had this topic a couple months ago, actually. Um, Harden, I'll always go with the player over a coach because you can scheme all day long, but at the end of the day, the players have to play. Of, yes, you, you you'll win because of execution, right? Um, cause I, I think a player can overcome a weak scheme. Um, but you're not going to out coach. You're not going to coach your way out of a player sucking. That's just not going to happen. Like it's oh, not, so, you can't so, do yeah. That. So when James Harden has his two for 11 in a game five and, you know, just decides he's not going to give a shit because he's off. Like it, it doesn't matter what you drop in the huddle. doesn't matter. I, I, I give James credit, though, because all offseason in our show, we talked about ways for him to improve. I was pulling my hair out last year because I, I, we play basketball a couple of nights a week, uh, you know, you know, in a gym. And, you know, I'll hit like five mid-rangers in a row. And I told my brother, I was like, why can't James hit mid-rangers? Why is he a 36, 37 percent three-point shooter? But he, he'll refuse to shoot from like 15 in. But this year... I think he worked on it all offseason. He's done it a lot more, more than I've seen it in a long time. And it's there. It's there. The shots are there. And he's actually taking them now and he's driving more, which makes him, which gives him a little extra freedom to pull back on step backs. Because if you're only taking step backs, then I know you can't wait for the step back. But if I know you might do a step back and then drive, then I got to be a little more cautious when I guard you. So now that he's doing it, it actually opens up a step back without taking a 40 foot like heave with one second left on the shot clock. So I'm hoping he doesn't revert back to just jack it up James. And I think he can employ more and add one of those, more of those drives and mid range jumpers. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more for both to be honest with you. And, and, and I'm glad Paul Reed's been taking Harold's minutes. Hopefully Reed keeps ascending and, and we don't even need to play Denman. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that we just don't put ourselves in bad situations and Harden can just keep growing from this, man. I, I mean, I, I the better we play in the playoffs, too, the, I think the better the offseason will be with negotiations. I mean, yep. we get bounced, we get bounced in a bad way. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? <laughs> Honestly, exactly. Um, that was that was the the pendulum that I was talking about. Um, let, let me ask. Let me ask you a quick question. I asked yeah. my brother this. Would you would you do Maxi and and would you do Maxi and Tobias? I asked him two different questions. I'll ask you both. Would you do Maxi and Tobias and a first rounder? Well, actually, by next year, we'll be able to trade two first rounders. Maxi, Tobias, and two first rounders for LeBron. Oh, um, because that because that's a championship right there. LeBron and Embiid would terrorize teams. What am I doing with the James uh, Harden salary slot? I mean, I think I mean at the hard at that point would stay. I think you'd have a big three of Harden, LeBron, and 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 
and uh, and Embiid. I mean, yes, it, it would make more sense for us to do Harden, and, but you can't see the problem is would you trade Harden and Maxi? That's that that would be kind of too no, 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 no. It, it, it would more sense. it would more be like again. I, I'm a I'm a little biased in this because because my disdain for James Harden is immense. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I never think the guy's going to be a winning player because he comes up small. Now I'll give him credit. He's done less dribble, 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 uh, James harden stuff and has deferred to Embiid. Okay. And <laughs> that, in that scenario, uh, I probably have to do it because one title, you know, goes such a long way and you, as good as Maxi is like, you see guys coming out of the draft, like there are guards now that are just awesome. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I'd have to do it. I, I would. I'd have to do it. I, I wouldn't even. I know, uh, but I'd have to do it. I wouldn't even. Uh, um, I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Um, I wouldn't even be shocked to see a Toronto Raptors type deal uh, involving Tobias Harris and Maxi for a couple of their pieces. Who, what, like an OG Ananobi or... Um, and, and, and and Gary Trent. And Gary Trent. Maybe. It's going to be interesting. The the Sixers are such a fascinating you're talking case. About, you're talking about rolling, rolling out a, uh, a Maxi, Gary Trent, OG Ananobi, P.J. Tucker, um, Embiid. I mean, the switching you can do with, with, with Tucker and OG would be... And, and Gary Trent. You're talking about three good defenders. Yeah, it, that would be extremely interesting, but they they can't worry about that now. They got to worry no, about this season, not. Of course not. Um, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, the Sixers are are fascinating, and yeah, uh, yeah. I absolutely love Joel Embiid. It's tough for me as somebody who can't stand James Harden to be pulling for the Sixers, but I am. Uh, Tasia, we're going to have to do this again uh, some other time. I'm going to have to absolutely, come on your man. show because I have to ask, Eric Snow about his best Allen Iverson story that he can share on a podcast. <laughs> um, we we need totally to have agree. a deep dive there, and uh, let's run this back later on in the season. It's been great. Thanks so much for doing it. Really appreciate it. Sure, man. I appreciate it. It was a good time. We'll have you on soon for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much. Speak to you soon. Thanks again to my guest this week, Tasia Dash, for coming on, talking about the Super Bowl, talking about the Sixers. Great stuff with him. Hopefully, it won't be the only time he's on this show, and I can't wait to do his show. That's episode 197 for the love of the game. Take us out, Travis Scott. My best shot, you might shoot forever like. I get those goosebumps every time, yeah. You come around, yeah. You ease my mind, you make everything feel fine. Worry about those comments. I'm way too dumb, yeah. It's way too dumb, yeah. I get those goosebumps every time. I need the Heimlich. Throw that to the side, yeah. I get those goosebumps every time, yeah When you're not around, when you throw that to the side, yeah. I get those goosebumps every time Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.